presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Well, hello and, and welcome. It's hope, hope you're ready to discuss the Word of God today. This is Pastor Adam again. And before we begin, let's, let's acknowledge the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we are grateful we are here today and you have a purpose for us today. And Father, we ask for your guidance, your grace, your mercy, your patience to assist us, to guide us that we can follow your will, that we surrender to your will, and we acknowledge your kingdom is here. And we thank you, Father God, for this opportunity today. We ask you, Father God, to reveal to us the deep meanings of what it is you want us to understand. And we ask for wisdom with understanding. We thank you, Lord, in the mighty, and matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So there is not a single one of us. There's not a single person that can escape the reality of one day asking, am I living my life and making decisions in my life in allegiance to and in the pursuit of the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? Well, today we're going to Listen to Jesus's words as he cuts right to the heart of that question and, and this truth. And, and it's so completely explained by Jesus and it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter six, starting with verse 19 through 34. Now there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus was getting right into the nuts and bolts of the thoughts, of the desires, of the actions, of the kingdom of the self that each one of us has. <laughs> As he's, as he's doing this teaching, as he's doing this ministering. So I want to read it. It's a, a long passage, a long discourse. Again, it's Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. And it's going through verse 34. And, and today I'm, I'm going to use the Message Bible. All right. So here we go. Just as Jesus speaking, and he says, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to God than birds. 
Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. All right. There's a lot that's going on there, but I want to start with this change or this turn in this theme while Jesus was speaking. It's, It's in verse 33 where Jesus says, but you know both God and how he works. Or in many translations, this is that famous, but seek first the kingdom of God. The word but that's used there tells us there's a transition point of of this passage. Everything that was said before, Jesus is talking about the operation of another kingdom, which is the kingdom of self. This makes the passage a very helpful and practical way to look at the challenges, to look at the struggles between these two kingdoms in our lives, these two kingdoms that are in our hearts. In other words, there is a change of perspective needed to help us identify if we are living for the kingdom of self or for the kingdom of God. There are some pearls of wisdom that emerge from what Jesus was sharing there. They they will help each of us as we seek to examine the motivations of our own hearts. So the the issue is, will we be treasure-oriented in life which is, which is really self-focused people on temporary things that we experience while we're here on earth. Or, okay, here's the or, or will we, will we obey God and focus on, on being value-oriented, purpose-motivated beings, serving and sacrificing with that internal mindset, that eternal perspective that, go, that happens in our everyday activities. Now, When we kind of begin to discuss treasures, most of the time, a treasure has an assigned value. And and, and what goes on here, this is what, what goes on and happens to all of us. Things begin to rise beyond their true importance. And then they kind of set the agenda of our thoughts, of our desires, of our choices, of our words, and and finally, how we act. I mean, because... Like the question, what is, what is the battle of treasure really about? It's, it is this daily working to value what God says is important in our lives. So, so there it is. What is important to you? What's important to you? And it's not complicated. 
whatever your answer is, is going to command the allegiance of your heart. Now, okay, so in that discourse, we just read where Jesus says, the place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being, okay? Now, that was, remember, I read the Message Bible and many translations, this is what Jesus, it's recorded as Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is, this is profound. Jesus gets right down to the very core of our personhood. Jesus is saying there is a treasure war that is being fought at the very center of what makes you and I think, right? That makes what we desire and what we do. And whether you're conscious of that or not, our words and actions reflect our effort to get out of life what we deem as valuable. And it appears to me that more than anything else, is an unquestioning embrace of performancism in in all sectors of life. Performancism is a, a mindset that equates our identity and value directly with our performance and our accomplishments. This performancism, as I'm calling it, casts achievement not as something we do or don't do, but as something we are or are not. Like, for instance, the, the money we earn, the, the car we drive is not merely reflective of our occupation. It's reflection of us. How, things like how we look, how intelligent we are, what people think of us is more than descriptive. It's synonymous with our worth, with our value. It's, it's, it, this is what it's boiled down to, at least in the Western world. It's as if success equals life and failure is tantamount to death. And so that's a very complicated comment right there because how you define success and failure is huge. This, this is the reason why people would rather end their lives than confess things like, you know, I lost my job or I made a bad investment or, you know, just fill in the blank with excuses and reasons. And please, please, don't take away that, that I'm implying accomplishments are somehow bad or even that they're not important. I'm simply trying to say that there is a difference between taking pride in what we do or worshiping what we do. When we worship at the altar of performance, we get trapped and we spend our lives frantically propping up our image you know, propping up our reputation, trying to do it all and do it all well, often at a cost to ourselves and those closest to us. Life becomes, if you know, it's kind of like a hamster wheel of endless earning and proving and maintenance and management and controlling. This performanceism causes us to live in a constant state of anxiety, fear, resentment, until we end up, uh, gosh, heavily medicated, People end up in the hospital or just they're just really, really unhappy and depressed. And, and, and truth is the Christian church has sadly not proven to be immune from this performance-ism issue. Christians should always be yearning to engage the wider community with, with the message of God, the message of God's sacrificial love, that he's, 
He, he wants you to come to him, that he will forgive you, that he shows grace, mercy, but he's also judging. I mean, but this is the message we need to be sending, that there'll be accountability, but, but through his son Jesus, you will be okay if you repent. See, this is talking about meaning living for somebody else instead of for ourselves. And it's a wonderful thing to do that. And we need to keep encouraging people to do this. But the unintended consequence of this push, however, is that if we're not careful, we can give people the impression that Christianity is first and foremost about the sacrifice we make for Jesus rather than the sacrifice Jesus made for us. The message, unfortunately, many times can be that Christianity is about our performance for Jesus rather than Jesus's performance for us. Many times it can focus on our obedience for Jesus rather than Jesus' obedience to the Father for our benefit. See, I, I guess it could be say the very core of Christianity is not do something for Jesus, Folks, the very core of Christianity is Jesus has done everything for us. And too many people, both inside and outside the church, have heard this plea for intensified devotion to Jesus. And they come to the conclusion that the focus of the Christian faith is our love for God instead of God's love for us. Now, again, don't get me wrong. What you and I do, what our witness is, is important. But it is infinitely less important than what Jesus has done for us. So we got to ask ourselves, what are the deep heart desires that shape our everyday words and actions? And when when you get honest about this and go down this path, path, it, it will reveal those things that capture the allegiance of our heart and shape our actions, reactions, and responses. Remember, okay, that by God's design, we are worshipers. I, don't, I just don't think we've grasped the totality of that because too often we view worship as an activity instead of worship being our identity. That means everything you and I do and say is the product of worship. Okay, so here it comes again. What are you worshiping? We should be, you know, we should daily be acknowledging who we are and whose we are. Once once you're born again, who are you now and whose are you? Those treasures, those things that have risen to the, the level of importance in each of our hearts that, you know, rule the thoughts and desires of our heart, right? Those things are going to control the things that you and I do. And this battle, this war, between these two kingdoms is not a war of behavior. It's a war for the functional street level rulership of our hearts. And if we don't recognize this deeper war, we will never gain ground in the arena of our words and actions. So we've got to be honest. We've got to ask ourselves, what do our words and actions reveal about what's truly important to us? Our treasures will always be attached to the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. Jesus gives us only two options. There there is no middle ground. 
There is no lukewarm position, in other words. If, if we even have one of our little toes dipped into the kingdom of self, then we're not all in the kingdom of God and we need to acknowledge that. It's, it's, it's okay. Be honest. It's okay. It, just be honest. Stop sweeping rationalizations under the rug. Stop, stop you know, half-truthing things. Just be honest. And I know we'll rationalize why we cannot be all in. But here's the deal. God is relentless. And the Holy Spirit, he will remind us over and over. He comes to comfort us as well as convict us. And he will. Either, and that's, a, that's, that's one thing you should be so grateful for. When you feel convicted, it's like you need to understand you're convicted. Hallelujah. That means the Holy Spirit's presence is alive in your life. But, but it boils down to things like this. Either we have attached our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our inner self of well-being to the earthbound temporary treasures of the kingdom of self or to the heavenly eternal treasures of the kingdom of God. And as Christians, I hope we can see this as an incredible helpful breakdown on how we should evaluate our every decision. For instance, I wrote down a few questions here. Like, let me just, these are some questions that I think are very helpful in this process. So here's, here's some questions. Here they go. The absence of what will cause us to want to give up and quit? Is, is it, you know, it, this is the things we and Candace talk about all the time. Provision, protection, acceptance, money, security, respect. So just, just ask yourself, the absence of what? will cause us to want to give up and quit. Okay, here's another one. The pursuit of what will lead us to feeling overburdened and overwhelmed? Is it the pursuit of money, right? Those pursuit of provision, protection, and acceptance. Money, safety. <laughs> These are the things that are eating away at us. That's where our soul, our soul consists of provision, protection, and acceptance. The mind, will, and emotion. Right? The fear of what makes us tentative and timid rather than courageous and hopeful. Are you aware that, that a command that God gives th- over 365 times, wow, isn't that something? 365 days in a year. God says, do not fear. 365 times, do not be afraid. So the fear of what makes you tentative and timid rather than courageous and hopeful and bold. Okay, here's another question. The craving for what makes, makes us burn the candle at both ends until we have a little bit left, right? The need for what robs your family of its beauty and joy, robs your ministry of its beauty and joy, robs your work of its beauty and joy, right? Here, here's a, another one I wrote. The desire for what sets up tensions between your work and your family. Just think about these things. Could it be, folks, that much of our stress results from seeking to get the things out of life that it will never deliver? Could it be that we're asking our jobs to do for us what only the Messiah can do? Could it be that in our lives we're seeking horizontally, right, the things of this world that we've already been given by Christ? (laughs) Could it be that this kingdom conflict is propelled and empowered by the reality of our own personal gospel amnesia? 
If we forget what we have been given by Jesus Christ, we will tend to seek all those things we just mentioned out of the situations, the locations, and the relationships of life. We have got to be real with ourselves and honestly appraise in what ways we are tempted to seek from life what we've already been given in Jesus Christ. My observation, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be 59 here in a few days. My observation of Christendom is that most of us tend to base our relationship with God on our performance instead of on the grace of God. I mean, this is how a lot of us process. If we've performed well, whatever well is in your opinion, then we expect God to bless us. Come on now. If you've done all this, if you go do ministry, if you go out and serve, right? You expect God to bless you. If you give, right? You give financially, you give up your time, you give up your resources. If you're serving, right? You expect God to bless you. And if the opposite is true, if you haven't done so well, our expectations are reduced accordingly, right? If you sinned, oh man, I'm worthless. Ha, come on. So guess what that is? We're living by works rather than by grace. We are saved by grace, but we're living by the sweat of our own performance. The realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of on my own performance is a very freeing and joyous experience that too many Christians live moment to moment. They don't live it day to day. They don't live it as it's flowing like it should. See, it's not meant to be a one-time experience. This truth that we're, that this needs to be reaffirmed daily. You need to wake up every day like that going, oh gosh. The grace of God is available in my life and it's here right now and I need to live it. What we humans really are displaying is a compulsion for taking the reins of our lives and our salvation back from God, who is the only one remotely qualified for that job. Works righteousness is a word that the Protestant Reformation used to describe spiritual performancism. It's plagued the church and the world since the Garden of Eden. It might, it might not be too much of an overstatement to say that if Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, release the captives, freedom for the oppressed, sight to the blind, then Christianity has come to stand for and unfortunately many times practiced the exact opposite, right? Jesus says in Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is on me, he says, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recoverer of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. favor. So the, the, the best way to teach about a heart so blown away by the right here, right now glories of the grace of Jesus Christ that we are not easily seduced by the less temporary glories of that catastrophic kingdom of one the kingdom of the self. The reality is that no matter how committed we say we are to be to the, you know, this big kingdom, we are always grappling with the dynamic of shifting treasure. And the confusion, at least to me, in my observation, seems to me to reside around understanding this truth right here. See, this is the truth. This is the thing. 
While the gift of salvation is free, this does not mean that there is no cost to being a follower of Christ. And, and I, I, I don't know, I, I think a shift, a, a big like pendulum swing happened in the Western culture of Christianity in the last 30, 40 years or so. It appears to me that many want to live the Christian life without any sacrificing or any giving. But there's more to it than that. For instance, in saying yes to Jesus Christ, we're saying no to much of what the world around us has to offer. And and today, gosh, it is so difficult to discern where the true treasure is is being taught and practiced in the Western culture, in the Western churches. What I'm suggesting is this. Over the last several decades, many Christians have become increasingly accustomed to a less natural form of Christianity. While still naturally or essentially Christian, many aspects of Christianity have become victims of enrichment by non-Christian ingredients that I guess are, have been the goal was or the agenda, they are meant to enhance the faith that many of these churches have thrown in to their teachings. This enrichment has been done to make the gospel more convenient, more palatable, more marketable. Yet as these added ingredients take up more and more space, the essentials of the faith are being displayed and are removed or forgotten. I mean, let's just, you know, take a stroll with me through the virtual aisles of our Christian subculture today, right? Talking about, you know, the radio, Christian radio stations, the Christian gift shops, the Christian television programs, the websites. Need I say many of these new, like, trendy churches? We find ourselves surrounded by positive thinking, self-help, and behavior modification churches. We're People are lured in by self-esteem bestsellers, do-it-yourself Christianity and countless authors presenting the spiritual life as an ascending ladder, right? They'll be, uh, oh gosh, seven steps to this, three keys to that. This is the one prayer that will revolutionize your world, expand your influence and fulfill your desire for the good life now. And, And okay, I'll say it. But some of the garbage stinking up the shelves of Christian bookstores is being passed off as accurate Christian living. It's just hogwash. The truth is most of it is psychobabble or practical proverbs, no better than what we find in the secular self-help or generic spirituality sections of our online bookshops. Modern evangelical Christians who have become accustomed to this trendy, diluted form of Christianity have all but forgotten or don't even have a clue what the pure faith actually tastes and smells like. And in fact, when they're exposed to a less than watered down faith, a faith without all those unnecessary additives, they find themselves actually disgusted by the original pure flavor of authentic Christianity and call it fake and call it false. They spit it out and reject it as something foreign and inferior or less unpleasant to the palate. And the irony, sad to say, is that this purer form of Christianity is the authentic faith once for all delivered to the saints. It appears to me that many are not able to discern the true biblical gospel that should be proclaimed throughout a Christian church service. 
Just a few observations I've made in the last, oh, 20 years. I'm talking about things that I've seen that just I don't understand. They're not in the script, right? Things like, like I'll be specific. Play, I'm talking about things like no limits on praise and worship because so many people have a clock that they have to stop at a certain time to move on with the service, right? There should be no limits on praise and worship, preaching. There should be no limits. People do this though, why? So they can get one group out and get another group in so they can claim we're reaching more people and if you don't do this, then you're not really doing it right. That's been the reason for decades. Where is the emphasis on reaching and raising up people to become disciples of Christ? Emphasizing repentance, emphasizing overcoming Continuing, don't just leave them at the altar once they receive salvation and let them wander around like little toddlers. No. We have to raise them up. And this is a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year, never-ending thing. But we don't do it. Not in the Western culture. Not very many do it. How about something like administering communion every service instead of once a month or a quarter? How about we see churches conduct discipline and care fronting people properly instead of putting it under the rug and, and, and not dealing with it and leaving some people confused as when they see somebody do it wrong? Too many church leaders need to follow through on what Paul wrote down to the Corinthian church because it's going on every day and they look And they turn their eyes to it because it's hard work to deal with disciplining. There is nothing really fancy about these things I'm mentioning. In fact, they're so simple to identify and maintain that churches is focusing on these fundamentals and freeing themselves from the frills to appear to so many to be washed out has-beens or incompetent wannabes or freaky spiritual nut jobs to most big production glitz and glamour Christians. Yet many forms of evangelical Christianity have been so colored with, you know, dyes, so mixed with artificial ingredients, so drenched in candy coating that they are in danger of becoming a cheap imitation that serve merely to distract from and not point to the essential ingredients of the historical faith. You know, just like additive rich peanut butters that appeal to the flavor rather than to nutrition Far too many evangelicals will shop for me-centered, feel-good church experiences rather than Christ-centered worship, discipleship, emphasizing an authentic community living out day-to-day churches. In fact, it's just like many sour-faced kids that reject all natural peanut butter. Many evangelicals turn their noses away from authentic expressions of church and spirituality. They would rather keep dabbling in the artificial than adjust their taste buds to the real thing. And from what I've observed, the real problem is too few Christians are familiar enough with the original and enduring faith to sort the real from the fake. So as I wrap this up, I want to encourage you, if you're hearing this, get back to reading the scriptures. If you've been doing that all the time, hallelujah, never stop doing that. I, if, if I encourage you to get a concordance. If you don't have one, get one. And today with the, with the 
technology we have, you can get one right on your phone, for goodness sakes. I want to encourage you to dig into the original meaning of the words in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. Take a a good look in the mirror of your soul and do not be afraid to pray to the Lord for grace, for mercy, for forgiveness. Pray for wisdom with understanding and, and for courage and boldness. Folks, recommit to the will of God and the courage to live for that today. Hallelujah. Thank you all. I hope this encouraged you. And praise the Lord. God bless. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, go to our website at www.candicesmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram at Candice Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.